Number nine, 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 number nine. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 All right, welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with the best-selling author of uh, the New York Times bestseller, um, the self-improvement book, Fuck You Looking At. I'd like to uh, introduce you all to Dr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Or were you addressing our audience? <laughs> I- I'm addressing anybody that'll listen to me, basically. Yeah, that's uh, how it works. So here we are with uh, what? Did, what did you call this now? Monday? What? Monthly? Monthly Mondays? That's it. Monthly Mondays. This is monthly Mondays. Star Wars number one. And man, I I, I I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're really really excited to be getting into this. Sure. And before we start, I'd like to say that your book changed my life. Oh well, thank you. Thank but you very much. But it's also gotten me in more fights than. <laughs> I've ever been in in my entire life, but as it says in chapter three, that's a good thing. Oh, I mean, you know, if you if you read, you know, well enough into it, somewhere in there, I mentioned that you know that you can basically use the book itself as a weapon. I mean, yeah. you know, over four thousand pages. I mean, it's a hefty tome, so you know, just hit him in the head with the fucking book. Well, what I liked about this book is there's just no way you can put it out in soft cover, you know. It's and that that takes um, that takes a certain amount of dedication in the publishing world to know that they can never mass market it. It's always got to have. I think personally, I would have done it like the Madonna sex book and had it, you know, bound in in like sheet metal, <laughs> <laughs> clang. <laughs> people could, you know, you would have been autographing people's books with like face marks in the side of them you know imprints of people's faces all scrunched up it would have been awesome <laughs> but <laughs> we'll get into the barnes and noble well you know as we all know there's a restraining order and you're never allowed in another barnes and noble as long as you live but 
That's yeah. another, that's for another day. Well, you know, one one person's indecent exposure is another person's <laughs> expression. I always say <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it, I, it definitely was artistic. Well, anyway, we're here to talk Star Wars, and and not your particular preversions. And I guess the first the first segment of these shows, um, since the the brand newest spanking new Star Wars product, I guess, or that's coming out is is the Clone Wars TV show. Yeah, which I notice has been getting a lot warmer reception as a TV show than as a movie. Yeah, what's what's up it's with that? Because there's less expectations, I guess, to it, and. And you know, for uh, with a half hour moves along a lot faster than than an hour and a half. I guess it it has a lot more. Uh, it just that uh, the, there's you can definitely say these these shows speed right along. You know, yeah. just like just like the last the uh, cell animated series. I mean, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go off on a tangent or derail us before we even get started. But yeah, I I, I just found that very odd. Um, there, there's a, uh, 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 what the hell do you call it? A page up on the uh, comic geek speak forum, uh, specifically called clone wars. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, it started out as basically people's comments about the movie uh-huh. and, and it got, you know, got a resurgence when the show started coming out. And it's weird. The same people I saw, you know, really, really hating on the movie, now we're going in and like just praising the show, which I mean, I, I'm happy. I'm glad people are enjoying the show because man, I'm I'm telling you, I'm loving it. I, yeah. I'm really psyched for every new episode. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. But it's weird. It's it's just weird that the same people that were really really dogging the hell out of the movie and a lot of people that didn't even go to see the movie, you know, and and, and had negative things to say, are the same people that are watching the show and go, wow, this is really great. I'm thinking. You know, wow, that's just, I don't know. I don't know what to think other than that's just odd to me. Maybe there's something different about getting it for free. Although it's not really free because it's on cable, so. This is true. You're paying for it at some some point, but, you know. I I do think it is a better, I mean, as much as, you know, I enjoyed the movie and we enjoyed the movie, I I do think so far the individual episodes have been better than the movie, too. Oh, sure. It just, it moves along faster at a half hour, you know. yeah. And uh, so let's uh, let's get into it. This first episode, what, what was? Did it have a name? Did you catch a name? Or I didn't did they catch have a name, but the, it, it seems like the thing is they're going to have a little catchphrase at the beginning of it, right? That usually it seems like it's I guess Yoda saying it. And this one uh, was great leaders inspire great greatness in others, and uh, of course this this episode is uh, is all Yoda. Basically, Yoda and the three clones. There's uh, not really anybody, you know. It's a sort of solo Yoda adventure, and uh, which is why I liked it. Why I, I thought this was a great way to start out the show too. You know, it was the um, Anakin and, to a limited extent, Obi Wan and Ashoka got got to you know the movie, and now we have a little focus on on Yoda. Which it's about time, and uh, um, I re- I I I love this. I just watched it again before I went to bed last night, and uh, it's got 
it's a very colorful episode. It's full of lots of bright colors. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it takes place on uh, the Toydarians world, which uh, made me think if um, this is something for like if the which they're not, but if the creators of Robot Chicken were listening, I'd say you need to do a gag about the land of misfit Toydarians <laughs> for their next Star Wars episode. And uh, so it takes place on their world, which is a very uh, organic-y, flowery, but there's it's sort of weird. It's sort of like, uh, a, you know, um, dryland coral. Their world is made of this really brightly colored coral sort of plants that seem to be very brittle, but um, they're, they're sort of like coral cacti almost. And uh, it's the this is interesting because the toy dare you find out all the toy darians aren't like aren't like Watto. Thank God. That 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 it's that Watto isn't really doesn't seem to be. Well, you're you're seeing the royal class of toy darians. Right, he's to be yeah, more thought, They seem to be more thoughtful and. Uh, Watto's not representative of the species, thankfully. Right. And. Uh, um. Yeah, because so I remember that, hearing ahead of time that that the toy dare you know that this was going to take place on the toy Darian's planet, and my first thought was kind of that 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 dread of like, oh no, because he was one of my least favorite characters from Phantom Menace. Yeah, and if the toy Darian king had come out and been like, oh, you know, it would have been all over right there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But and and you know, it's a simple story. It's a. Uh, Yoda's meeting with the Toydarians over, you know, some sort of alliance with the Republic, and at the same time, they've sent um, what's her name, Ventress, there to uh, to uh, cut him off and and have him hook up with the Separatists. So it becomes basically a game of can Yoda get to the the Toydarian king um, through Ventress's battle droids right and who can who who is going to be more useful to his world but which is a very if it was Watto you know he he but this guy seems to have made up his mind this guy seems to he's gonna pick Yoda from the beginning but he just plays along because he knows Yoda's gonna gonna wipe him out and they're they're very smug Dooku's talking to him through 3d radio and you know they're very they're very smug and sure that they're gonna wipe out Yoda before he can get there or keep him from meeting with the king and prove that they they provide more protection, but he just sort of lets it play out, you know, and and I thought, um, well I'll I'll get to that later on. Uh, the music is really good in this. There's a lot of uh, Yoda's theme pops up, yeah, in a lot of a lot of spots very nicely. And then it has a, a little Australian moment with when they're in the cave with the three clones and Yoda's dissecting their individual psychology. I really like that. That that to me was the Yoda of old. That was the 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 original trilogy Empire Strikes Back Yoda. Yep. Come back to me. You know, I really liked that. And everything he told them was a little hint that was going to help them the next day it's really interesting because 
they've they've seemed to start this thing where they're going to start with a little quote, a Yoda quote at the beginning of each episode. And from what I've noticed so far, they don't really go along with the episode as much. Um, and uh, sometimes they almost don't make it. They're just, you know, sort of jibbery-jabbery, new age, gobbledygookity <laughs> stuff. And I think they're just there for, you know, for maybe like a fifth or sixth grader to go like, woo, deep, man. But they, they, it, it doesn't seem to have a lot of thought in it. But at the same time, what is a really simple story of Yoda just sort of fighting all these battle droids, at the same time, there's a lot of uh, little neat things in there because there's a whole moment where, um, you know, Yoda's sort of single-handedly taking out the droids by using the droid, you know, in his Zen Jedi way of using their own power against them. Um, but there's one point where there's a bunch of tanks and he's going to go down and attack him. And this is after he's given the, the three, um, clone troopers, their, their little pep talk. And, and, you know, we get to see that they all have different personalities. There's a little Australian moment with some didgeridoo playing in the background which I prefer to call didgeridoos, didgeridons. It's a really annoying in <laughs> instrument to me, but it was okay. It was just a little pepper sp spice, you know, thrown into the soundtrack. But, um, you know, he sets himself up for a scene where he's Yoda jumps down to, and to fight these guys. One of them's injured. One of his clone troopers injured, and another one has a, a some sort of bazooka. Star Wars bazooka, but it only has one shot in it, and Yoda says, you'll know when I'll need your help. So he, Yoda just jumps down into a situation that he knows on his own he has no way out of. He has to have complete faith in these three clone troopers to to know the right moment to do the exact right thing that will that will resolve the situation, and he has complete faith. He jumps right down and and meditates for a couple seconds, you know, for a few seconds, and uh, and it plays out. And the and the clone troopers using the the advice, it, some completely directly and some a little indirectly, but their personalities sort of aim them towards what has to be done to to save Yoda at that point. So that was neat in a in a twenty minute little story to to have all that that worked in and and I was thinking you know it's it's going to make um the show all the more intense by giving the clone troopers individual personalities and and stuff when you know they're going to get killed because they are totally cannon fodder so probably some of these guys are going to get killed either that or they'll just be I don't know um you know recurring characters and other other clone troopers will be used as cannon fodder but it, it's interesting they're making them into characters and they've given them different just like in the movie and this is something we noticed and noted in our review of the movie is you know they had different um physical attitudes and different hairstyles and stuff like that right. and that's right. coming more into the forefront in the tv show and there's more there's more of the same sort of humor um with the with the the droids with their stupid lines. I love the when Yoda's in his escape pod going down to the planet and the 
droids trying to shoot at him and misses and he's like that the one droid tells him oh, that was really bad shooting and he's like ah well it's my programming now what do you think of the droid humor because i've heard i mean that that's the biggest negative criticism i've heard is everybody seems to be bitching about the droid humor but personally i i like it i think it's perfect i haven't seen any of it so far that i thought was too far over the top or or too ridiculous or what i mean they are stupid and yes. i remember right from the phantom menace thinking these little right tiny the looking beginning. things are are so stupid why don't they just kind of play him more for like the first time i saw qui-gon force push one and it just smashed like like it was made out of out of uh toothpicks or something i thought they were kind of humorous so i mean i i think playing up the humor of them really works because they they do look ridiculous to begin with so i, I like it myself I, I thought it was good and the the one that you know where he's uh you know, Yoda's hacking him up from underneath him, and he's going, but I just got promoted. I yeah. thought that was great. I loved it. And I love through that whole scene, Yoda's down there fighting them, and he's using his carnage to communicate with the clone troopers. You know, every 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 few seconds, Yoda would take a bunch of wreckage or bodies of droids and just fling them up into the air past the clone troopers. So that they could see, okay, Yoda doesn't need any help yet. You know, he's there's body parts flying up from the bottom of this this canyon. And I thought that was great. You know, that was his method of communication, and it, and and this had a lot of the Jedi thing of where they use their enemy's force against them, mm-hmm. and instead of fighting the situation, they work with whatever their situation is. They just sort of relax and. Uh, and and Yoda uses uh, the fact that they're on this planet with this kind of dense under undergrowth to totally stymie their tanks, and you know he uses it to his advantage by just working along with the situation rather than trying to change the situation to his own will, which is a very Jedi thing to to do. And there's also an, uh, there's also another theme, which Yoda, I mean, he comes right out and says it in this one that sort of is getting is sort of becoming a theme in subsequent episodes too, and that's uh, no one gets left behind. Right. Is seems to be one of the TV shows themes overall arching themes. I you know I haven't heard this yet, but I would not be surprised at all if if this show is or or becomes a real big hit amongst uh, military men, you know, servicemen. Oh because yeah, at, you know, as a former serviceman, I mean, probably my favorite parts of these episodes so far are with the troopers. You know, when they, you know, they they pull their tactics, and you know, it well, just what, that was it, it the... reminds me of watching the first time I saw Aliens. You know yes. the alien sequel in the theater. I saw you know, you know we li- you know we grew up living outside of Fort Drum, so I saw that movie with a theater full of GIs that were all hyped up. So when they're doing all their, you know, their military tactics and all, you know, those guys got psyched, and it made it more fun watching that movie. I get the same feel watching this when you you see the the, the clone trooper parts where they're doing their tactics and yes, you know, like like you say, they've got their camaraderie and they've got their no man gets left behind. 
you know, you really get, you know, you get into that. And it, and I, it also feels like the part in, uh, in the first Toy Story with the, with the little green army men, you know, yes. that was a very popular part of that movie as well. So I get kind of that vibe from, from these parts with the clone troopers of, you know, I can see that really appealing to, to servicemen. You well, know? it's, it's funny that you use the word tactics. Cause I was going to say this, this one in the, in the series, the clone Wars series before it basically, and they reminded me a lot of, uh, uh, it was a. I don't know if it was made for Saturday mornings. It used to play every morning here at like seven in the morning. Was a there was a Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. uh, computer animated show, and both both of these series, the Starship Troopers and Clone Wars, are basically tactical stories. They're just battles. Each one's a different battle, and you get to see what methods were used by both sides to win or lose the battle, and. The story is almost secondary. Each one, each one of these is almost just a, another little document of of a battle, and each battle has a little piece of somebody's story arc going on in it, and a little less a lesson learned. You know, at the end of this, a clone at the end of this episode, a clone trooper goes actually says the, the South Park line of, you know, I think we all learned something <laughs> today. I learned something. Hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we all did, you know. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, these basically are these basically are battle shows. You know, these are basically you know your kid with uh, a Tie Fighter in one hand and an X Wing in the other hand, mashing them together and flying them over through his room. You know, uh, just on a on a nice Lucasfilm budgeted manner. Yeah, I'm I'm totally digging it right right on that level. I mean this this show definitely speaks to the to the Star Wars kid in me, you know. Yep. Gr- like you say growing up playing playing battles with our action figures. That's that's really what this show is to me so far is it's you know, it, it's like reliving you know those those childhood adventures. I mean, that's really what it feels like. And it always have it. It, it always seems to have. And uh, you know, I let it out of the bag. I've seen the first four episodes. By the time this comes out, the first four episodes have been out. Each episode has just at least one or two Star Warsy moments, mm-hmm. where where you're in the Star Wars universe. But those the real Star Warsy moments for me are where you see something you haven't seen before sort of happening or you see a ship that you haven't seen or something happening but it makes sense at the same time, you know, it's just an added little thing that that locks into the to how the whole thing works and there's there's always at least one or two of those in every half hour and that's that's really nice to get something like that. So you're you know. definitely giving it the thumbs up. Man. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'll be there every week watching this one. Oh yeah, me too. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I really. For I, I'm glad they went with this particular episode as the as the series opener because I really enjoyed it. You know, you didn't you didn't need a whole lot going into it. You know, it, it just it got right into it. It was an action episode. And uh, you know it had a heart to it, and I, I really enjoyed it. You know, you had action, you had a you had a good you know message in there. It's everything a, a good short little 
yep. you know, show of this type should be. You know, it speaks to kids. It speaks to, you know, a sci-fi fan, whatever. I, I thought it was really excellent. And I definitely got a, uh, you know, a, a, a good Star Wars vibe. I got a good vibe of the, you know, the first Clone Wars cartoon series. I got a good yep. Clone Wars Adventures vibe. You know, the Clone Wars Adventures was a, was a series. I think there were 10 of them all together. They were a series that were published like little trade paperback size. Yeah, like the Archie sort of. Yeah, and they were great. You know, they were. That's all these. You know, they were just like these shows. You know, they were short, short stories, focusing on you know one or two Jedi's or you know one particular battle or whatever. And that's pretty much what seems like they're going for with this. And man, I'm telling you, that's just that's a winning combination. It's nice to see that they recognized it, you know, and that well, they went with that that format. Well, one thing I really liked about it also was uh, something you didn't get to see in the episode one through three with Yoda was uh, his his humor and right. his uh, his sort of fun-loving nature. And in this one, you finally get to see Yoda laughing and just sort of, you know, he's always one step ahead of everybody at all times. And you in know, this one, he's enjoying himself. He's laughing and joking, and and just sort of, you know, he's he's in his prime. And and you didn't. He made a couple little jokes in in the movies, sort of, but you never saw that humor that you saw in Empire Strikes Back when he's digging through Luke's backpack and just like right. looking at stuff as if and going man, like completely just playing around you know he's he's he was playing a game with luke and and enjoying the hell out of it you know he was amusing himself at the same time and you know finally get to see it here you know what's funny is i i think you just helped me solve a personal conundrum i've had since i watched this episode because i don't know if i've ever talked about this in any of our episodes i, I think you and i have talked about it before the the part in um attack of the clones the second feature uh, of the prequels as much as I like that movie it's my personal favorite of the three prequel movies there's one part in that movie that absolutely drove me just batshit crazy when I saw it and pretty much every time I see it and it's the part where Yoda comes out and ignites a lightsaber and then he battles Count Dooku I've always hated that part and I still don't like it I don't really like the part where he battles the Emperor either and I think what bothered me was you know, I realize it's my own preconceptions of the character getting in the way, but I always had, I I never, I, rather, I never had the impression from, from Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back. I, I just, somehow I had this thing stuck in my head that Yoda wasn't a warrior, that he was a master, that he taught the other Jedi, but he himself was not, you know, a combat veteran, for lack of a better term. Somehow I could never picture Yoda with a lightsaber. You know, the Yoda figures from when we were a kid, you know, they weren't packaged with a lightsaber. You know, he might have come with, like, maybe a backpack or his Gimmer stick or something. But, you know, I, I realized that that was just a childhood thing I carried over into the prequel movies, and maybe it was a silly thing to, to not expect him to ever, you know, hold a lightsaber. But I just never could visualize that. Yeah. So it really took me right out of the movie in Attack of the Clones when all of a sudden Yoda's kicking ass with a lightsaber. I just thought, no, that's just not my Yoda. And it really bugged me with that one. I didn't particularly care for it in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yet, 
he does the same thing in this episode, and I loved it. And uh-huh. and I, I couldn't put my finger on I was like, well, now why do I like it in this and thought it was really great when I didn't like it so very much in the other ones? And I, I think you just hit on it. It was the fact that the whole time he's doing it, he's laughing and joking, and he's he's laughing his ass off. He yeah, think, he's having a blast, he's just, just like he did in He's Empire. like a little kid. He's running under the tanks and raking his lightsaber yep. lightsaber against the bottom of wee ha and, and exactly. And again, it down. was it was the Yoda of Empire Strikes Back, and I think that's that's what made all the difference to me was that. Well, you know, why? I, I could forgive it this time. I just know? realized why he was like that because he was killing droids. Ah, maybe that I think, was it. I think when he's fighting something living with the force in it, that he's not going to laugh. And you know, if it if it was if it was a, a you know a, a tank full of clones or people, he probably wouldn't be taking it as lightly as he killed. And maybe that's why in in those first three episodes, you know, maybe that's why he you don't see his humor because the situation isn't humorous at all you know there's like and Yoda seems to be the only character in episode one through three who sort of knows what's gonna happen and I think he I think a lot of it he's having uh, you know this is of course just my own theory but I think Yoda's having a personal struggle through episode one and three ever as soon as Anakin shows up Mm -hmm. he's having a struggle as to whether he's go- as to whether he should just let events unfold because he knows eventually you know whether he knows Anakin will kill the emperor eventually or how it'll happen i think he knows it's going to resolve somehow but it's not going to be pretty cuz he always seems to be looking when something ha- when anything big happens in any of the movies there's usually a, a cut to Yoda where he's just sort of like, okay, now this is, you know, like he's resigned to it. So maybe that's why he's not so, but, you know, I still would have liked to have seen. There, they had a perfect opportunity in episode two to uh, have that scene in, where he was with uh, teaching his class of younglings. Mm-hmm. That that you know that's that's why I figured Yoda I figured Yoda was the one who taught the kids, so Yoda probably used a lot of humor and you know, sort of, although you know they're not teaching, they're trying to probably work him away from childish things to be Jedi, but at the same time you know you got to have that that love of life, but even then he was just sort of he was still he was just sort of like teach you know a. Uh, uh, not a teacher without humor because he was making little aside jokes but nothing goofy you know you'd think he would be the sort of teacher teaching kids who would have the kids cracking up all the time but have enough respect from them so they weren't goofing off you know so they were afraid of him enough (laughs) not to take advantage of it but that was that that was the perfect opportunity in that movie to show that side of Yoda and they blew it they blew it. <laughs> but hopefully there'll be some more Yoda humor coming up in, and I'm hoping there's going to be... I'm all for more droid humor. I like the one where the one droid called the other one a bucket head. <laughs> and and, it's, and it was, it's one of those things where it sounds like swearing, you know? When it... Just, just the way he says it, it and, 
you have that half second, quarter second of like, did he just? Oh, okay, Buckethead. <laughs> <laughs> and they do that on purpose, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, that's so I would say that's it for episode one. Cool. I think, uh, take a break and we'll come back to, uh, to Scott's audiobook review. Excellent. And this should be pretty interesting, I think. All right, we'll be right back. The following public service announcement has been produced by myself, Chris Honeywell, as per condition of my sentence of community service. I take sole responsibility for its content. Hi, kids. It's your old pal, Chris Honeywell. You know, illiteracy rates in America are alarmingly high these days. So, I don't know, learn to read and read a goddamn book once in a while. This shaves off three hours, right? Alright, we're back. We're going to go to the to the Star Wars audiobook, but I think real quick, Scott wants to talk about something first. Oh yeah, just real quick, uh, while we were still on the subject of Star Wars The Clone Wars... Um, this newest series has spawned a comic book series by Dark Horse. I'm not sure what the frequency is supposed to be on this. I thought it was supposed to be a monthly. I've got the first one so far. I haven't gotten the second one, so I don't know if the second one is even out. But just looking at the first one, um, it was $2.99 um, based on, you know, it's it's taking place in the same timeline, the same world basically as this new Clone Wars uh, animated show. And man, I'm telling you, this number one issue kicked. It was really, really good. Um, I don't recognize the names of any of the creators. It was written by Henry Gilroy, pencils by Scott Hepburn, inks by Dan Parsons. None of those names ring a bell with me. What's the art like? The art's great, it, but what's neat is that it's not, you know, I really thought it was going to be similar to like Clone Wars Adventures or maybe even like a computer look like the show. Right. But it, it's really not. It's not very cartoony, but it's it's not too far away from traditional comic art either. It's kind of it's kind of a hybrid. Uh, it's hard to describe, but uh, it's very, very good. The coloring is amazing. I mean, everything's faithful. It really looks like, you know, the characters and the show. And uh, I thought it was good. The, the first issue was just fantastic. You know, it was, again, it's like the show, so the plots are kind of simple. Just a lot of action, a lot of, you know, a lot of fast-paced action adventure. But, uh, yeah, I, I really got a kick out of it. And I, th- I think I'm definitely on board. And, it, boy, I'm telling you, after so many years, it's nice to say I'm finally on board with a new uh, – a new Star, you know, new regularly published yeah. Star Wars comic. Because up until now, you know, ever since Marvel Star Wars was canceled um, so many years ago, I've only just ever kind of, you know, picked and peeked at uh, at Star Wars comics. But Same I've never been me. faithful. So, so it, I, I think I'm definitely on board with this as long as the quality, you know, holds up to the the quality of this first issue. I'd say uh, if you're enjoying the show, definitely give it a try. It it, I, it was worth my two ninety nine. And uh, so after that, we're going into – now, I think I teased this before, didn't I, what what yeah. this Star Wars audiobook segment is going to be? Okay. So um, I'm reviewing the Star Wars audiobooks in chronological order. 
this is as many of them as I can track down. It's a it's a heck of a chunk of them. I know it's not all of them, but you know it, it's enough of them to to really um, be worthy. I think of review and really give me and hopefully you guys, the listening audience, a feel for the Star Wars. Uh, expanded universe and what's going on. I've been curious about this for a long, long time, but it was really the episode that Chris and I did where we speculated on what would a Star Wars, you know, episode seven movie be that really got me to thinking that, you know, this whole world is out there of Star Wars that I really have only uh, just dipped my toe in. I really want to find out what the whole deal is. So, I decided to to take this task upon myself, and I'm trying to stay committed and dedicated. But well, as you'll as you'll hear from this review, it's it's been tough going in some spots. It sounds uh, like uh, it sounds like you've entered into a thick dark forest. <laughs> yes, yes, it definitely feels that way so far. So I'm just gonna um, hit these real quick. So far, I've listened to. I don't know, about a half dozen or so. So here goes real quick. Um, and then I'll, I'll just have some general some general comments and, and some general points that cover kind of everything at the end of this. So um, right off the bat, the first thing uh, that I listened to, going by the, the listening order that, that these were presented to me in, was Tales of the Jedi... Knights of the Old Republic, and a sequel to that, which was Tales of the Jedi, Dark Lords of the Sith. Now, these were both Dark Horse comics. They were, they were, Knights of the Old Republic was a miniseries. I want to say it was about five, six issues, and Dark Lords of the Sith, I think, was only two or three issues. Read them a long time ago. I remember really liking Knights of the Old Republic. I remember not liking so much Dark Lords of the Sith, but that that may have been just for the art. If I remember right, the art on Dark Lords wasn't all that great. But Knights of the Old Republic, it, it was a decent story. Anyway, these are not so much audiobooks as they are um, audio dramas. They have a full cast, um, music, sound effects, the whole thing. So it's not a reading. It's, it's acted out. And... Uh, the the kindest thing I can say about these is just track down the comics because, you know, the story's fine. You know, the the stories you know with with dark with uh knights especially is very engaging. It's very Star Wars. You know, it's worthy of the name Star Wars. But the the ta- that acting is horrible. I mean, <laughs> really really bad. And the female character whose name escapes me in the Knights of the Old Republic. She's just, oh, I mean, I thought Anne Sachs as Princess Leia in the Star Wars uh, radio drama was bad. This this woman makes her look like, you know, I don't know. She She's Catherine just really, Hepburn. yeah, exactly. This woman's just awful. So anyway, uh, those two so far, they've gotten the hands, the, the thumbs down only because of the acting. The, you know, the stories are worth listening to. Or a reading, rather, but the, they're not really worth listening to. All right, so moving right along, the next one is Cloak of Deception. And uh, in the order that I have, see, there's different sites that you can go to to get the order on these, and none of them seem to have, like, a, uh, the, the definitive listening order. 
So the list that I had actually listed the next book I'll talk about before this one. But I put these on my MP3 player and then went to work that night, got to work, was ready to listen. And then I couldn't remember, well, what the hell book am I supposed to listen to first? I couldn't remember. So I listened to this one first, and I'm really glad I did because it turns out that this one actually, to my timeline, would actually take place before the next one. So this one's Cloak of Deception, written by James Lucino, read by Alexander Adams, who I really like so far. He, he's done several of these books. And this was an abridgment of the book. And uh, my notes on this one were basically, mm, politics. All right, this book wasn't horrible, but it's very dry. I mean, if Star Wars politics are your cup of tea, you're going to love this book. Is that why if, you said, mm, because it is? Yeah, it's it's all politics. I mean, it's it's really... This book, all this book really does is serve to put everyone in place and explains how they got there in great detail for where they are for Phantom Menace. So it sets up um, like Newt Gunray and the and the Trade Federation uh. and all those characters. It is interesting. I'm not trying to say it's a bad book. It's just it's it's really, really dry. So, I mean, don't go into it looking for, you know, lightsaber in a planets blowing up because it doesn't have any of that it's it's really dry but it, it, it had some decent you know stuff to it and it was interesting to learn more about um, Newt Gunray and his people and how they got there and all that because I thought the Nemoidians were actually kind of cool even though they were played for some sort of weird ethnic stereotype kind of thing I, I still thought that they were cool alright the next one of all the books I've I've done so far, this was my personal favorite. This was the one that I definitely thought captured the essence of Star Wars that really gets my highest recommendation. And this one is called Darth Maul Shadowhunter. This was it was written by uh, Michael Reeves and it never said anywhere in it who read it or whether it was unabridged or abridged. I got the feeling it was probably abridged, but it did not say, so I don't know. But uh my my uh, notes for this one, the first note I had right out of the gate was, yes! I mean, this was a damn good book. It really was excellent. It was basically Darth Maul hunting down some people. Um, this guy, I think he was a Corellian, but I forget because these books start to blur together after a while. But this guy that wasn't supposed to gets a hold of the information about the upcoming thing with Naboo. You know, the whole beginning of phantom menace uh -huh. this guy has knowledge about it and he's not he he stumbled across it so darth maul's trying to take this guy out through the whole book he's trying to hunt this guy down and then uh, a jedi and his padawan get involved in this whole thing and what's really cool about this book is we already know darth maul and we already know fan you know the story of phantom menace and we already know that no one's aware of Darth Maul or the Sith existing. So through this whole story, you're going, no, wait, 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 wait. How can these Jedi guys be fighting Darth Maul and the Council never hears about it? So you know, your whole time, you're trying to resolve this in your mind and thinking, something's got to happen with this guy. Something's got to happen with these Jedi. How is this all going to resolve itself and not conflict with continuity? It resolves beautifully. I won't spoil anything. You just you got to read it. It's an excellent book. And uh, 
what I really enjoyed about it was Darth Maul is badass, but it lays the ground for his eventual downfall in Phantom Menace because he's badass, but he's not infallible. He has a couple of real Boba Fett moments, you know, like Boba Fett's whole thing in Return of the Jedi, how they, you know, how he got knocked into the Sarlacc. All has a couple moments like that in this. They're not ridiculous or anything, but you can see where he's, you know, he's definitely the apprentice Sith, you know, so he, you know, he has his his moments. His flaws, yeah. Um... And then uh, my last note on this book was, and this leads into one of my major beefs so far with just about every one of these books, uh, and this drives me nuts, and I'm, I'm going to try not to preach on it, but there's a thing in this, in the very beginning, where, where Darth Maul is battling these, uh, they're like remotes, but they're actual droids. That They're like killer droids, and he's doing a whole... Like battle, it's like a like a danger room sequence. Basically, uh-huh. he's honing his skills against these killer droids, and he goes into these different moves. And I can't remember what they're called, but I wrote them down here as just you know being humorous. Whoa! What the hell was that? that? Yeah. Um, I was wiping the apple juice from my mouth with a napkin. <laughs> well, Sorry. these. Uh, oh, that's all right. These moves that he does, they they name them all, and I, you know, it was something to the effect of like squatting Bantha and sneaking, uh, Sar- and, you know, shitting Minoc and all these. And yeah. it, all right, can I please, please read one Star Wars book that doesn't reference Banthas? I mean, I'm serious. I think every book so far has had a Bantha reference. All right, you know, I, I realized that. People you know, love Banthas. What can I say? But it's the thing of you know each of the start of the original Star Wars trilogy movies that we got, you know, had a new reference. Like in in yeah. in Empire, you know, Leia calls Han a Nerf herder, but we never hear the word Nerf again. But then you get to the books and they beat these terms to death. You know, yeah. Nerf and Bantha and Minoc and. I mean, come on. It's like it's the same thing with tattooing syndrome, you know? They live in a fucking galaxy. You know, this exactly. is not Star Trek where they're confined to a small corner of it. This is Star Wars where they have an entire galaxy to play with. You shouldn't constantly be referencing the same animals over and over and over again or the same, you know, characters or the same planets or you know, I mean, give me well, more and invent some new things. I I'm tired well, of hearing about Banthas. It's just, it's just bad. It's just laziness because it, they basically just took, you know, human martial arts terms and plugged. It's like they had a list. Okay, it's like someone said, "Give me a list of all the animals that they mention in Star exactly. Wars." It's exactly what it they, feels and like. And then they opened up their, you know, their their black belt manual and said, "Okay, let's instead of the crane, we'll put in the, you know, the sarlacc." Right. And, and see, I can forgive that if this was the only book that did something like that. But yeah. I'm serious, man. I think I, I, so far, I believe every book has referenced Banthas. It's like if you, it's like if we flew to Mars and, uh, you know, we met a Martian and they were, just, you know, they kept talking, you know, calling people, you stinky son of a wombat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what, what are you talking about? You know, exactly. All right, so that was yeah. that was 
Darth Maul Shadowhunter. Excellent book. I highly recommend that one. Okay, next one was The Phantom Menace by Terry Brooks, um, read by Alexander Adams again. This was an unabridged reading. Um, I will just say it was surprisingly good. As much as I really still, you know, I, I like the movie. I can tolerate it, but it's definitely not my favorite Star Wars anything. But the book actually, you know, it, it was, you know, it, it was surprisingly good. It was better than I thought it would be. But sadly, I like these kind of books, you know, movie adaptions or whatever, because I like the insight they might give you into characters or moments or fleshing things out. Sadly, this book doesn't really do that. It's pretty much a by-the-numbers adaptation of the script. However, there was one scene in the book that was not in the movie that I really liked, and that, that was just the Tusken Raider scene. I can't tell you much about it without spoiling the whole thing. I would just say, you know, pick up the book. Even just even if it's just to read that one chapter, it's definitely worth it. It was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I always wanted to know more. You know, the Sand People were one of the things that always fascinated me as a kid. And I always wanted to know more, more about them. So any any chance I get to read more about Sand People, I really enjoy. And the Sand People in this part were done so well. It was really cool, and I liked it. Um, also, it finally explains the um, slave collar question. Because I remember even the very first time I watched Phantom Menace, I thought, why didn't J Jake Lloyd's head blow up when they left tattooing if he had that slave collar thing inside of him? And I really wanted that to happen, too. So I was <laughs> curious. And they explained that you know they actually, you know after... Uh, Qui-Gon wins um, Anakin, you know, they, they do go through the whole process of how to, you know, get the thing deactivated and all. It was just a moment you didn't see in the movie, but they right. do explain it in the book. It's like it's like Kurt Russell at the end of Escape from New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next one is Rogue Planet by um, Greg Bear. Um, again, I don't have notes on this one for who read it or um, if it was abridged or unabridged. Some of these just don't say it. I, some of them are by different companies. So it, it, some of them say and some of them don't. Um, I really just had a couple notes on this one. Now, see, this was the era uh, that I was probably most looking forward to in reading these books so far anyway. was this era set between The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I was really curious about this period in time. Yeah. There's a lot really, of time in there yeah, with Anakin's training years. and stuff. Yeah, because Anakin is established as being nine years old in Phantom Menace, and he's 19 in Attack of the Clones. So they've got 10 years to play with. I wanted to know about his training. I wanted to know very specifically. I wanted to know why did Anakin never go back to tattooing in those 10 years? Why the hell didn't they go back and rescue his mother out of slavery? That that never set well with me. Why didn't they? I, there were just a lot of things I wanted. I wanted, you know, I wanted to get t Count Dooku's backstory. I, and just a lot of things. But anyway, in this first book, um, Rogue Planet, all I can say about this book, I can sum, sum this book with one word. Awful. This book was horrible. Horrible book. It was so fucking boring. What, you didn't and like it? Not, not really, no. All right, imagine, <laughs> if you will, the droid factory 
in Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Now, imagine an entire book that was involved with explaining in just the minutest detail how exactly that droid factory worked. Would you be interested in reading that book? That would be awesome. It sounds like a technical manual. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not getting me at all. This book was just dreadfully goddamn boring. They go to this the, – the, the best I could get the, the idea with this, and this was the problem with this book is it was so boring that it was really hard to follow, is that they're, they're, they're on like two missions basically. They go to this planet and I guess they're supposed to be finding out what happened to the last Jedi that went to this planet. That was part of the plot. But also on this planet, they grow – grow spaceships yeah they grow spaceships so there is just the most tedious boring and elaborate description of how this ship growing planet works and at the end of the thing the planet's alive kind of like ego the living planet from marvel and at the end of it, the planet has to hide. So it, like, I guess it goes into hyperspace or some fucking thing. I don't. I was lost. I just. I was so bored now, and do put you think, off. It was just. It was really a just a dreadful read. It really was. Now, do you think it was one of those things where this might have been the author's idea for one of his own books, but I, nobody, I don't know. nobody would ever print it because it kind of sucks. But it then could he, be. Then they were like, "We need you to write a new Star Wars novel," and then he said, "Aha, that's a that's I can a good put my idea in here because that's what it sounds guess. like." It's a good guess because that name rang a bell with me, and I looked him up and I couldn't find it, but I could swear that I read a Star Trek book by this guy, and this book had a very Star Trek feel. Now you know me; I love Star Trek, but my Star Trek and my Star Wars don't mix. And I can't stand <laughs> Star Wars books that are written as Star Trek. And and a lot right. of that was part of my problem with uh, with the Timothy Zahn books that were so highly praised by everybody else. Is I thought a lot of the Timothy Zahn battle sequences read more like something I would read in a Star Trek book. So that's one of the reasons I didn't care for them very much. But I think that's I don't why wanna... I gave up on like halfway through the first book, actually. Yeah. See, I don't want to linger on this one too long, only because it was so awful. But I'm, I'm just telling you, I cannot give this book a worse recommendation. Don't waste your time. This book sucked. All right. Next was uh, this was actually four books in a series that go under the banner of Jedi Quest. Um, these are all by Jude Watson, read by um, Jonathan Davis. And the, there's more than the four in this series. But unfortunately, four was all I had access to. So they were Way of the Apprentice, which was unabridged. Trail of the Jedi, which was unabridged. Dangerous Games, which was abridged. And Master of Disguise, which was abridged. Now, Way of the Apprentice, um, I'm trying to remember which one was this. Crap, I can't remember. I remember really, really liking this book, too, and now I'm trying to remember what the heck happened in this book. Ah, shoot. I should have taken better notes. You're listening to too much Star Wars. Yeah, see, that's the thing. They start to blur together after a while. All I can tell you about the first one is I really like I liked all four of these books to varying degrees, but the the ones that I I really liked the best was I liked uh, 
Well, I like the first one, the best of the four that I listened to, but damn it, I can't remember what the hell the story was. The one note that I had on this, though, was that they kept using parsecs as time units, kind of like Han Solo did in um, the first Star Wars movie. Yep. And it drove me nuts because that's been established that 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 was either a mistake on Han's part or that he was basically trying to pull one over over on what he thought were a couple of hicks, you know? And parsecs are a measure of distance, not a measure of time. And several times in this book, parsecs are used as time units, and that really drove me a little bit crazy. But other than that, it was an excellent read, and maybe it'll come back to me what the hell it was about. I, I just can't remember at the moment. Um, Trail of the Jedi was really neat. It was uh, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan go off to this planet, which is kind of like a Jedi retreat like youth camp kind of thing. They go there basically to there. There's a, another Jedi that's with them. And this Jedi goes off. He, he basically, it's like hide and seek. He goes off and has, you know, they count to a hundred or whatever. And then they have to go find him within a certain amount of time. But it's really supposed to be more of a bonding experience between master and Padawan. And Obi-Wan has elected to do this with Anakin because Anakin's creeping up on his teens and he feels like he and Anakin aren't as close as they should be. So I liked that basic premise, but then it gets involved with this whole bounty hunter subplot, and that gets a little bit weird, and it gets a little kind of boring in parts. But the overall thing with, with Anakin and Obi-Wan was really nice. I liked that a lot. had a lot of action, and it was just it was a good story between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Kinda, it was kind of like a Clone Wars-type story, but set you know during Anakin's... You know, training. youth. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, during his training, and I, I like that one a lot. Um, Dangerous Games. This was a good book, and it surprised me that it was because right off the bat, I figured out what the story was going to be. It was going to be the Space Olympics, basically. Uh, yeah. I have seen this and seen this in science fiction, the friggin' Space Olympics, and right off the bat, I was thinking, now I despise the real Olympics. I mean, I absolutely hate the friggin' Olympics. I like so I the Laugh Olympics. <laughs> oh, wait, so I no, I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, I typically hate these kind of stories, but I actually ended up liking this. And one of the reasons I really like this is that there turns out that along with the Olympics going on, there's like an underground thing of Olympics going on as well. And one of the categories is pod racing. So Anakin, uh, as I think he's like 14 by this story, Anakin races again. And... I like that. I mean, as much as I didn't care for the original pod racing thing, seeing in my mind's eye the Anakin of of Attack of the Clones, you know, the older kind of, you know, Padawan brooding Anakin as a pod racer, I liked that concept and I liked that whole secret. It, it, it's really good. Um, the book had a great twist ending, which I won't spoil because I can't remember it anyway, but uh, it had a really good twist ending to it. The only nitpick I had about this one was um, – correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. Do you remember Star Wars, any incarnation of Star Wars ever having holograms of like Star Trek, the next generation sophistication? Or haven't they all been kind of those like like Princess Leia looking? Right. With a, yeah. they're, they're, they're sort of a TV hologram because they, the, they have the scrolling – yeah. yeah, yeah. There's I a have never point. seen anything like, 
Yeah, where they've like simulated something or had like a hologram doctor or whatever. No, it's always yeah. been a sort of crude little. Yeah, sort see of that again. TV. That was one of those those Trek isms that migrated into Star Wars and kind of took me out of it because there's a plot point in this where holograms of that level of sophistication are used. And it it just really bugged me because I kept thinking, I don't remember anywhere in Star Wars that they had holograms of that Star Trek level hologram. And it, it just it bugged me. It really did. But other than that, I, I liked the book. I, I, I thought it was really good. Um, Master of Disguise was the fourth one I listened to. Um, the, the notes I had on I like this one. The, the notes I had on it, though, were um, – and maybe somebody else can tell me this if you've read this book. How did Amiga know that there was only one Sith? That really bothered me. That shouldn't be general knowledge to people. They shouldn't be aware of Sith at all, but uh, you know, especially that there's, you know, that there's one out there or only one. And he makes that specific point that there's only one. And I'm thinking, how does this guy know that? And that really bothered me. Um. There's a really great um, lightsaber training scene. Uh, Anakin basically is sent to like remedial lightsaber training in this one part. And there's a really nice sequence when the, the trainer completes his training. And something that the trainer says to Anakin is a beautiful piece of nice dark foreshadowing. Because we all know where Anakin's headed. Right. But story, just the way this this teacher treats him is is a nice foreshadowing of what's to come, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and, you know, again, you know, like I said, you know, one of the things I really wanted to get out of these books were answers to some of the Star Wars mysteries for me. This was the first one that answered a big mystery was how the hell could a Sith Lord live right under the noses of the Jedi Council and they never detected him the whole time? This book has some really nice explanation for how such a thing is possible, and I really liked that. So for that reason alone, I, I would recommend this one. I'd recommend all four of these books. I really enjoy them. Altogether, I think there's like eight books in that Jedi Quest uh, series. I plan to try to get the rest of them eventually because there is an overall overlapping plot with all of them of, of someone that they're trying to find. So uh -huh. you know, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, Having only listened to the first four, I'm kind of left hanging as to how the story resolves. So I, I'm curious to check out the rest of them, and I, I will eventually if I can track them down. Um, the last one is Outbound Flight by Timothy Zahn, who you know you may remember he was the guy that wrote that that later trilogy, mm -hmm. um, and this was read by Jonathan Davis. Um, who read the previous ones I talked about, the Jedi Quest. I like this guy's reading. He, he does a really good job with these. Um, this wasn't horrible, but it's really slow and kind of boring, kind of like the other Timothy Zahn books were to me, you know, kind of slow and boring. He just goes into so much detail that you don't really need. It, it it bogs the story down and it doesn't move very fast. It doesn't it doesn't move like I feel a Star Wars I feel a Star Wars story should move, you know. 
you, you, you get the plot points, but you know, it, it's one action thing linked together by a little bit of exposition or whatever, but it, it moves. It and these books going from one to another. Yeah. Yeah. These books don't do that. His books are more like a mystery book where you get a lot of talking, a lot of talking, a lot of talking, a lot of talking, and then all of a sudden everything kind of pays off at the end. The book does sort of half-ass pay off at the end, but Jesus, it was a t- it was a long time getting there. That's my problem with his books. Um, but if you have read the other books first, this is kind of neat because it gives you the whole backstory on Thrawn. He's not he's not Grand Moff or Grand Admiral Thrawn yet. He's just this alien dude Thrawn, but it is the same character from those later books. And it tells the story of Outbound Flight, which I'm pretty sure is mentioned in one of those other books because this whole concept sounds very familiar to me. And I think the Jedi guy who leads Outbound Flight is is the guy who was the mad clone from those books too. But it's been such a long time since I read those books, I'm not sure of my facts. But when I get to those other books, if it turns out to be the same guy, then I'll mention him again. Um. So lastly, I mean, there's one more book I've got that I'm working my way through right now. I, I won't talk about it other than to say I, I'm just about done with it. And so far, it still is not doing for me what I wanted these books to do. I wanted to know why didn't Anakin ever go back for his mother? I wanted to know Count Dooku's back. Count Dooku's never even been mentioned. So I'm not – I'm enjoying them. In bits and pieces, but I'm not getting the backstory I really, really was hoping to get. But, you know, I'm intrigued enough to keep going. And, you know, the the ones that I enjoyed were enough, you know, to, to keep me motivated to, to keep listening. So I'll be bringing you more of these, you know, in future Star Wars episodes as I get to them. And I have gone much longer than I intended to go. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with Marvel Comics Star Wars. All right. First three issues coming up. Thirty-one years ago, in a small hick town, a couple of nerds began to buy comic books. It would become a dark obsession which would consume them their whole lives. Their parents did not understand them. Their peers ridiculed and chastised them for reading their funny books. Anger turned to hate. Hate turned to bitterness. And then turned back to hate again. And then into a nonspecific chest pain. Three decades and hundreds of long boxes later, they would form two true freaks and relive those days ad nauseum. And on that day, their revenge was complete. All right, we're back with... uh one of the parts I've been really looking forward to, we're going to start reviewing all the uh, Marvel Star Wars comics from issue one. Going three issues at a time, sometimes one issue at a time, depending on how the story arc goes or what's going on. But 
today we're doing the first three issues of the Marvel Star Wars, the first three Star Wars comics ever to come out. And uh, I think Scott wanted to uh, start it out with a little bit of history and background of, of this comic. Yeah, just a, a few quick notes before we get into the actual issues. Um, I think the hero of this story is Roy Thomas. If it weren't for Roy Thomas... I don't think Marvel Star Wars would have ever come along or it definitely wouldn't have come along in in the way that it did. I mean, this this title was a big deal. It was a big deal for Star Wars, the franchise, but it was also a big deal for Marvel Comics at that time. And uh, and Roy Thomas is definitely, you know, to, to be applauded for for getting the ball rolling on this whole thing. Now these uh, the Star Wars adaption, you know, the film adaption covered the first six issues of the series, which you know to me was a great length. You know, Marvel had done movie adaptions before, and they did some sense. The only other one that comes to my mind that ever was done as as well as this one was done was Logan's Run, because that one had the uh, the George Perez R and it was it covered five or six issues as well. It was done really, really well. Star Wars, I, I think the way they did this one, spreading it out over six issues, really did the story justice. And sadly, they just never quite seemed to recapture that magic. At least to me, a lot of their other movie adaptions just never seemed as strong, except maybe with the exception of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, anyway, these stories. If you can't get your hands on the actual first six issues, have been reprinted uh, a good number of times. And I just wanted to cover the reprints real quick because there, there were some things that were worth noting. Um, almost immediately in 77, they reprinted uh, the six issues as the little like book size, you know, like a, like a tablet size book. Yep. It was black and white. Oh, do you? Yeah, I've got a couple copies of this. One's really rough. That's the one I'm holding in my hands, and I've got one that's really nice shape. And it was uh, a black and white, so it was almost like Essentials before there was such a thing as Essentials. And it was called the Marvel Comics Illustrated Version of Star Wars. Um, also in 77, um, Marvel uh, published uh, – if you remember the old like uh, – uh, like famous, what were they called? Famous first edition or limited collector's edition or Marvel Treasury, those great big oversized books. Big ones. Yeah, yeah. big ones. Now, if you've got – Treasuries. Treasuries, yeah. If you've got the means to, to to buy these and track them down – and I've checked around on eBay and they're actually not very expensive. Man, I'm telling you, that's the way to read these six issues is isn't that giant oversized – the art's beautiful and it's really big and beautiful to look at. There were three of them. There was uh, Marvel Special Edition number one, which reprinted issues one through three, the ones that we're covering today. There was Special Edition number two, which covered issues four through six, which were the end of the story. And then there was Special Edition number three, which was all six issues together. And that's massive. It's a great big thing, but beautiful. Um, each one even has you know some ex little extra features, maybe an extra page or two of art or whatever, you know, some... Uh, I don't know what you would call them, pinups or splash pages, whatever. Just nice little bonuses that weren't in the regular issues and weren't reprinted elsewhere. So, you know, it's a, it was another reason to pick them up like I did. You know, even though you already had them reprinted, you know, twice before, here was another reason to buy it all over again. And, man, every time they reprinted it, I bought it again, you know. 
Um, and then it was reprinted again in 1982 in uh, – th- what was the name of this? It was Marvel – I think it was just called Marvel Movie Special number one. Where the hell did I put it? Here it is. Marvel Movie Showcase number one and uh-huh. number two. And again, you know, number one was one through three and number two was four through six. And what I really liked about these – was they were faithful reprintings. Um, I don't believe they changed anything because there's actually a major mistake in um, the adaption of Star Wars, which uh, when we get to it, I'll point it out. Some versions corrected the mistake and some versions didn't. The Marvel Movie Showcase didn't. They cleaned up the art a little bit. They recolored, which was really nice. And uh, they were really nice. I remember back in the day, these cost a dollar twenty-five on the stands, which that was a hefty sum back in those days. But I was glad to pay it, man. Anytime they reprinted Star Wars, I snapped it up. Yep. Um, Dark Horse Comics reprinted them a few years ago as classic Star Wars, and then I don't know if this series is done now or if it's still being published. But there was one called Star Wars a long time ago, and they were trades of Star Wars, you know, the Marvel Comics Star Wars put out by Dark Horse and there were several issues to each trade. They're kind of pricey. They're 20 bucks retail. And I'm not sure how many issues are, are reprinted in there, but they came to my attention. I was listening to some other podcast and they were talking about one of the issues in the 50s was badly colored when it came out originally and they recolored the whole thing when they reprinted it in this long time ago series so one of these days i want to track that down and see it basically the way it was intended to be seen because i heard it was really beautiful um lastly in covering the actual issues star wars went through multiple printings there were a lot of printings of these first six issues and and a lot of people know the legend of there being a certain number one that's worth a whole lot of money, or at least it used to be. I haven't looked it up in a long time. Well, that particular one, the way to know if you've got the valuable one is if the price stamp on the cover is $0.35 cents and it, the price is in a square, not a diamond, then that's the rare variant of number one that used to be worth a lot of money. I think it's probably still worth a hefty sum because it was very rare. If it's thirty cents or it's thirty-five cents in a diamond, then you've just got the standard edition. Um, I don't know what you're looking at to review these, Chris. What I've got is the first reprint of all three issues. I've got the actual issues first print, but I didn't want to dig them out. So I'm looking at thirty thirty cents in a square. Thirty cent. Okay, yes, yeah, so that's just the, that's the normal edition. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, real quick. I wanted to read something that I thought was apt for this first episode going into Star Wars, which was such a monumental thing, you know, right across the board for you and I, for Star Wars, for Marvel, everything. So real quick, here's a quick uh, reading for you right out of uh, Marvel Comics illustrated version of Star Wars. It says it could have bombed. It was a comic book concept dressed up for the screen. It was good guys and bad guys, spaceships and blasters, com- costumes and magic and planets and perils. But despite all that, or perhaps because of it, it worked. Worked? It simply became the most sensational, highest-grossing media event of all time. Therefore, what could be more proper, more apt, more totally fitting than than to present the magic of Star Wars in comic book form? And thus do we come full circle. How well I remember the day it started. Writer-editor Roy Thomas told me that he'd heard of a new movie being produced, a science fiction extravaganza called Star Wars. 
He suggested that Marvel Comics do a comic book version of the film. I, in my infinite wisdom, tossed cold water on the proposal, feeling that the title was lacking in both warmth and appeal, and fearing that the world had, uh, was hardly ready for another ray-gun-blasting space opera. However, when, I re when Roy mentioned that Alec Guinness was to be featured in the production, I yielded. Having always been a, a frantic fan of that fantastically versatile performer, and that's how we happened to score so towering a cult cultural triumph and how mankind was spared a future without an illustrated version of Star Wars. As soon as I could, I saw the movie myself, and my initial reaction was one of total astonishment. I couldn't believe the special effects, the scope, the panorama, the sheer overwhelming power of the undertaking. But the thing that amazed me the most was the love that had been poured into it. It was no campy treatment, hastily thrown together to make a few bucks and get a chortle or two. No, George Lucas must have loved this theme, just as he had loved the comic books and the early films of his childhood days. His love shone through in every scene, every situation, every dazzling concept. Nobody watches Star Wars alone. You find yourself sharing the experience with the man who created it. And now you'll... You'll uh, share it with the gang from Marvel, for we loved it too. And why shouldn't we? After all, uh, who can have a greater appreciation for C-3PO, R2-D2, Lord Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, or the Jedi Knights than the blushing bullpen who has brought you Spider-Man, the Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Doctor Strange, and the Silver Surfer, as well as the evil, uh, ever-evil Doctor Doom, Galactus, and the deadly Red Skull, amongst... Uh, countless other bigger, better, and badder-than-life comic book uh, cavorters. To you, the world of Alderaan is this mysterious home of Princess Leia in a far-off galaxy, while to us, it's practically our own home turf. But we've talked enough. Uh, somewhere, out, uh, somewhere out there, far beyond the farthest star, uh, reaching to the very limits of our imagination, a universe awaits, and the Star Wars beckon. Excelsior! Stan Lee, New York, 1977. And just reading that again sums up so much of how I feel going into this, too. I mean, you know, their their excitement was our excitement, and it's my excitement again after 30 years getting back into Star Wars number one. Yeah, I remember the day I bought this comic. I remember seeing it up on the rack at the, at the magazine store in Watertown. And freaking out and um, for the longest time I couldn't find issues two and three <laughs> and then I got four through six all came bagged together you know in a reprint and then I eventually had to buy one through three bagged up in a reprint too was that when they, to get was that two when and the, three was that when they came like two or three to a pack Yep. Yeah, I think that's how I originally bought the first two or three issues was in one of those packs. They would come three three to a pack and uh yeah, they used to they used to package comics a lot then. There would even be Spider-Man where, where there'd be a couple Spider-Man titles and maybe a Hulk thrown in there or something. I'm pretty you know? sure that's I'm almost positive that's how I got 9, 10 and 11, which you know, we'll get to those later. Are, yeah, those are the ones with the diamonds on them. Yeah. And uh and uh, I just remember being really excited, but, yeah, but I remember I remember looking at the the first issue and thinking, why is Darth Vader green? <laughs> and also, he has some. There's some artwork issues in issue one. 
And 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 Darth Vader on the cover of issue one definitely has some symmetry issues, big time. Like it, when you if you if, you know if you draw a line down the center of them, it's like two different people drew each different side of it, you know. And he's got a symmetrical face mask on, you know. It sh it shouldn't be too. I, all you have to do is draw half of it and then a mirror image of the other half. But who you know is. I imagine the cover was shaken too, right? Um, it's like it looks like him. I know that the inker is Tom Palmer. I'm not. Sh I want to say the the artist is shaken, but I'm not 100 percent yeah, sure. It, it facts. doesn't say. It. Yeah, there's no credits for it at all. I did have credits somewhere, and now I've lost them. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on the art, and I think the the. You know, Roy Thomas is definitely the hero of this story, but that's pretty well a pretty well-known fact. I think the unsung hero of this is um, Steve, and I'm sorry if I butcher his last name. I believe Lea it's Hola. Aloha or Leia, yeah, something like that. He came in starting with number two and did the inks, and I'm telling you, now I like Howard Chaykin. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. But wow, the art in this first issue is really wonky, man. It's almost as if it's um, it was his sketches. He and definitely a lot of uh, as as there were different artists through, you know, the history of the Star Wars comics for the hundred and seven issues, I think it was, and mm -hmm. three annuals. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that seem to really test um, artists the most were Stormtroopers and C-3PO. Yes. So you could sort of tell if someone was... Ha and Howard Chaykin definitely... There's some pretty goofy Stormtroopers and there's some pretty goofy... Starting out right out with um, page two, you know, where C-3PO is like lying on the ground after falling out falling on the ground and his, you know, head's all out of, he's just all weird looking. He looks sort of like Iron Man, really. And, uh, it looks... He does, it, too. It looks to me like it was almost, um, well, all, he did all the art, so he inked it, and he definitely likes to ink himself with a nice, big, thick, almost like, uh, Klaus Janssen yes. did with, um, with um Frank Miller and uh you know basically so that you know these comics these first three issues you know the first one goes to where R2 runs off and the second one I believe where does the second one end well anyway we'll get to that well this I think this one the first episode goes to where R2 runs off and uh yeah I remember even as a kid and I can appreciate the art a little more. It's you know as sort of being expressionistic, but it's almost as if these were his. It was almost like he was in a hurry to get it, get it out there, or. Um, and I also think maybe, in the first when they were doing the first issue, maybe by the second issue, it seems like um, they'd seen the movie. No, my because... understanding is that the whole thing is based off of like a shitload of um of stills that they were given. I read, I just uh -huh. read this somewhere. It might might even be in. I remember hearing that also. One, I forget, but the 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 thing because if you look, 
there's a lot of you know what we recognize from like Star Wars cards growing up and sure. stuff. There's a lot of sequences in this where you can look at it and go, "Wow, that's right out of the movie." But then if you look at anything that involves special effects, like ship battles or like the hyperspace sequence, don't look yeah. anything like that in the comics. And it's because those sequences hadn't been finished yet. They they never they didn't see the finished film before doing this this comic. All they had to work with was was stills. Right. So some stuff looks exactly like the movie because it, it was you know taken from a photograph, and then other stuff they just had to use their imagination and, and guess what it was going to look like, you know, after it was finished. Um, and, and and this of course has some things like it has the whole scene with Biggs at the beginning of it that you don't you don't see in the in the movie, or you know depending on when you saw the movie, and I don't think did they ever release. A version with Biggs in it, or was it always cut out? Ah, man, I should know this, and I don't off the top. All I can say is that some Biggs footage was put back in in the Star Wars Special Edition, but this particular sequence you're talking about, to my quick recollection, the only time I can remember seeing it released officially was on that um, that CD-ROM. It was... Called the Magic of Star Wars or something like that. It was right. one of the bonus features in there, and it was actually kind of kind of pixelated, so it wasn't the greatest quality. But it was this complete scene. But uh, if you ever listen to the Star Wars radio drama, that really fleshes that whole scene out and and gives you the whole thing of of how it was you know supposed to play out. What what I was really impressed with rereading, you know, all three of these issues because I really did. I I really sat down and you know, despite having read them a million times as a kid, I I sat down and I read them again word for word. I was amazed how, I mean, the dialogue is really close, and usually word these kind of almost. things, yeah, almost word for word, and usually these things are are off, you know, and they're usually off just enough to really make you crazy. But these, I mean, there's sequences in here that are pretty much word for word about the only thing that, that is off is some of the, the, um, some of the sequences. Cause I noticed that the whole, um, life pod escape and then the princess being shot and then, uh, the guy being choked by Vader, that whole thing is completely out of sequence from how it happens in the movie. But, you know, I mean, that's nitpicky, but I just thought, right. you know, I thought it was interesting that when I thought about it, because when I when I was reading this, it was hard for me to turn off the part of my brain that, that has the whole soundtrack of Star Wars in it. Because right. I literally watched or listened to that movie so many times that I can play it in my head. So <laughs> me too. Reading this, there were a lot of part, you know, like the the part where I realized that things were actually out of sequence was looking at the the panel on page six with the life pod escape. I could hear that little patoon, you know, where it shoots off into space and the dramatic music and all that. And then it cuts to the part where the 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 troopers march Leia up. But in this, it cuts to the part where the troopers track Leia down and shoot her, and I'm thinking, no, wait, that's all out of sequence, isn't it? And it didn't occur to me until I, you know, my my brain played the soundtrack, you know what I mean? And then I realized it was actually a little bit out of sequence, but I thought that was neat. Yeah, on page 26, if anybody has this to look a lot, there's one of the goofiest 
goofiest C-3PO faces <laughs> you'll ever see. I don't know if you're looking at it, but his yeah. chin's sort of jutting out. He he, look, he does like, look like Iron Man. He looks like a cross between like Iron Man and the Iron. He's got like an Iron the Giant. Iron Giant, yeah, yeah, he does. Well, I like the picture of Luke getting zapped by R two on page twenty two. He's doing like a. He looks like he's going booga booga or something. He's got his hand. Oh yeah. Up. yeah. But yeah, Luke. Uh, Luke. The the art on Luke is so inconsistent. I mean, I, well, I hate- if you look after the booga booga. The exact frame after it. Look at his eyeballs. They ain't right. <laughs> They're He's just got sort that of Marty thing. Feldman. It's yeah. like Marty Feldman. They're going off in different directions. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's very weird. Well, that's one hell of a He-Man impression he's doing and yeah. sat panel on page 23. He does. He looks like he should be saying, by the power of Grayskull. Oh, you're right. He's got the chin and everything. Well, there's, there's, a, he's, yeah, Howard Chaykin definitely draws. Sometimes he draws him to look like he's like forty years old. Sometimes yeah. he lo- likes an action figure with a big physique, and yeah, it just wasn't. It, it's not quite working here. And yeah, and, look, look at Luke on panel four of page thirty, right toward the end of the issue. Now he's supposed to be what nineteen years old. This dude looks what fifty. He looks 50 and like somebody has stretched his head out from the front to the back, you know, so it's sort of elongated like an alien head. He looks a lot like, like, I don't know, like Tarzan or John Carter of Mars or something. Yes. He, he doesn't, he's dead. And then beneath him, he's got that, he's got, you know, like a cross between like a, like an ape and like, uh, uh, who's that guy that, uh, Brad Pitt or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it is. It's wonky. His hair's he's he's got you know a lion mane hair, long hair thing going on, and I I mean there's some things about the art like, an R two, it looks like he's just flat like a cardboard cutout in every. Oh, I meant to mention R two because one of my favorite panels. I think it's this issue. Oh, I gotta find it. I is gotta it where f- his legs are all skewed out yeah. in all different directions? I know exactly Look at, where yeah, it's, it's page 11, panel 2. Tell me <laughs> he's not going, hello my baby, hello my honey. Oh yeah, exactly. He's just like, cha-cha-cha. Exactly. Picture. And that picture, that frame with, with 3PO behind him was actually used for some of the promo stuff for this series, so I love that that picture. It just kills me. He's, he's yeah. Now, and you're <laughs> just the, striding the issue, along. Yeah, the the issue that you have does it have a center a center yes. section where it's all text and it has yes. that picture? Yeah, I love that. I love that. The ultimate space fantasy. Yeah, I but think this things... is the article that said something about how they had stills that they used for the art or something like that. Yeah, the the backgrounds and the silhouette type of artwork in this works really good. It's just the characters in spaceships and the way lasers and stuff look in it. Just It doesn't capture the feel of the movie, but the dialogue and the way it progresses is so close mm-hmm. that it works. That it actually... You know, I mean, I still love this comic when I was... A, I, anything that had Star Wars when I was that age was... Oh, I, I still do because there's... You know, you look at things like I'm looking at 26 and 27 right now, and you look at the first panel of 26 and just go, Ugh. but then you look at panel two of 27, 
that is right out of the movie. I mean, that's yeah. that's obviously like taken from a still or some footage they saw because that's the whole part where, you know, he holds up the little ring and says, "Look, sir, droids." I mean, so I mean, there's definitely parts of this that that I, I really love because it really does feel like like the movie. But then, yeah, like you say, there's other parts that just just don't work. But mostly the parts that that are a little bit wonky are, you know, it's it's the parts that just weren't finished yet. They were special yeah. effects or whatever, and they just didn't know how it was going to be, you know, how it was going to be pulled off. But yeah, every time I look through this, I see something new where I see where, yeah, they, they definitely had a still where they had an idea what this was going to look For like. Sure. Now, number two. Oh, yeah. Big improvement. Right oh, the... off the bat, the cover. I used to love this cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though they, I love the artwork, I love the detail in the artwork. And, like, Ben Kenobi's an action figure in this one, too. And just, like, swinging his lightsaber. But And it's all the characters in the cantina bar, but they're comic book style, but they're very detailed. It was just, it's just, this is the kind of artwork I loved when I was a kid. Well, this were the um, kind of covers I liked when I was a kid. Yeah. The kind of covers that might as well say right on it, this never happens in this issue. Because yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's so over the top. I mean, this cover, for, for anybody who doesn't know the cover, you know, or trying to picture it in your mind's eye, picture, picture uh, uh, you know, all the Cantina aliens bum-rushing <laughs> Luke and Ben Kenobi, and Ben Kenobi's holding his saber up in the air like he's just going to start whacking some heads off. Can I do the dialogue? Oh, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Swing that lightsaber, Ben, or we're finished. (laughs) And Luke's blasting a guy with his his gun. It's awesome. What it says, it says Luke Skywalker strikes back. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love that. But, no, yeah, you're right about the art, man. I mean, you open that first splash in this, and the art has taken a quantum leap. It's beautiful. The the, the first... um, the first shot of Alec Guinness's face, even though Luke under him looks like he's like Han Solo, but that first shot of the picture of Alec Guinness is great. It looks like Alec Guinness, you know. It captures. Oh, I, I've got one for you. I, I just I have to point this out because it, it it jumps. It's jumped out at me since I was a kid. Okay, you, you ever watch soap operas? As as stupid a question as that is, you ever watch soap operas? Not since I was in high school and my sister used to watch The Guiding Light. <laughs> all right, then. All right. If you watch Guiding Light, you're going to know where I'm going with this. You ever watch an episode and, like, the regular actor had, like, quit or was sick or something? Right. Got, like, Joe Blow to come in and play him for that episode? Okay, so this ought to bring a memory back to you. Okay. Last panel of page 10. Okay. Um, the part of Luke Skywalker in this panel will be played by Jodie Foster. Yes. Does that not look like Jodie Foster? Yes. <laughs> I just have to laugh. I mean, that I it sounds like we're doing nothing but tearing these down. I really love these comics. The art is beautiful, but just well, right, still right again, above every that, once in a while. Right above that frame is a great picture, a great shot of Tarkin. Yeah, yeah. Of, uh, Vader. Peter, and, yeah. And now this one is more capturing the feel of the movie too because it's got sort of tilted angles mm-hmm. it's sort of copying the the great horizontal and weird wipes that happen in Star Wars you know and you oh know, by tra- the way the scenes transition and stuff 
Before I forget, I will be totally remiss and I will kick myself later if I forget to point this out. This was the big thing I was talking about before. Page 10, panel 2. Luke yes. races to the homestead, jumps out of his land speeder, runs toward his aunt and uncle and says, Aunt Beru, Uncle Ben! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently he's having he wanted a, some a, rice. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's having a Peter Parker moment, and he forgets that he doesn't have an Uncle Ben. He has an Uncle Owen. No, and, he's asking Aunt Beru for some rice because he's <laughs> hungry. Oh. He's just been burning Jawa bodies all day, and he's hungry. And he's like, Aunt Beru, cook up some Uncle Ben rice and get some blue milk going. <laughs> I love it. I looked it up in all of my reprints to see, and actually most of them keep this in there. There's the one that I found that is different is uh, the special, what is it, Marvel Special Edition, the big oversized one. Uh -huh. Num number one, said, they have it corrected to Uncle Owen. And I forgot to look up on number three, and it's too far away for me to reach it, but I think number three is corrected as well. But all the other reprints... Even that Marvel movie showcase that was like five years later, they they still say Uncle Ben. So I, I, I get the biggest kick out of that. I really do. This one has another like special effect difference where Vader comes in with the interrogation droid and it's a humanoid. Yeah, yeah I noticed that too. Bug-looking thing. What page and is that on? That's page seven. Seven. Yeah, I got to back up. Yeah, I, I I noticed that too, and I was like, "Whoa, who's this dude? He looks oddly familiar, but I can't place him." But he, I think he was in the cantina. He looks like one of the, uh, or no, it looks like one of the droids that was in the um, Jawas. Uh, yeah, that um, figure that they always called the Death Star droid when we were kids, but he wasn't actually on the Death Star right. at all. He was in the the Sandcrawler. Yeah, the you're sand right. Sandcrawler. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most any sequence I've noticed in this that, you know, where, where there was, you know, there had to be an optical effect done later. Just about any of those don't quite match up, you know. They're, well, the, they're, the, the, scene, the scene here that made me think they'd seen the movie is right on, it's on page six, and it's where Ben gives Luke the lightsaber. And then there's one scene where he's on the the first frame where his hand and the lightsaber are, like, huge, and Luke's got this look as if somebody's just, like, beamed him in the head. <laughs> and he's, like, you know, he looks like the retarded kid who's looking at the shiny object. <laughs> Literally, he's just like, ha. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Ben's explaining the lightsaber. And then, <laughs> then when he turns it off... And the, his body language there when he's turning it off is just sort of like in... Because there's sort of... It's almost in the movie his body language, and I'm sure he was doing it because he knew there was going to be a special effect in there, but he had to make it seem like something was happening. So when he... It, it seemed... It always seemed to me in the, in the movie when he turned off the lightsaber and it re retracted or shut off or whatever, it almost did like when you have those those tape measures and they pull back in and there's sort of a little recoil on them it almost seemed like it had that a little recoil on it and he sort of like absorbed the, well, it, the slight recoil with his hands and, well, it and, skipped because they stopped the the camera to switch out right. uh, the real lights you know quote unquote real lightsaber with just the hilt you know the, the right yeah and it always but it always made it seem sort of like oh it had retracted and yeah. you know, it had that feel to it and so does that that frame there you know so that's why I always 
thought that maybe they'd seen it and were conveyed, but it's probably just a lucky, lucky coincidence, lucky yeah. happenstance. And Howard Chaikin, not here's here's my soul perverted um, comment for this show, is is Howard Chaikin maybe he fixated on it or something. But he, he draws a truly accurate depiction of Carrie Fisher's breasts in Star Wars. <laughs> because I don't think she was wearing a bra. No, you know? she was they, not. And they sort, of, they sort of sling low and out towards the sides a little bit. And there's, there's one of these, in one of these first three issues, in one of the first in the, of the movie, I can't remember, I read all six of them last night, but one of them he has a little... You know, pinup gallery of everybody sitting around, and it's got, it's got Carrie Fisher, or Carrie Fisher, Princess Leah, and uh, they're very, they're very prominently. You know, he, you could tell he spent some time and thought drawing them. You know, he was like, ah, my favorite part to draw. And this one also has f some fun stuff. It's got Jabba in it as the guy with the weird whiskers. Yeah, the dog face Jabba. Yeah. And uh, it also solidifies the whole Han shooting first. Lucas can't go back and change the comic. That's right. I got it right here in my hand. And see, that bartender looks – he looks just like the one from the movie too. So they, they yeah. obviously saw a lot of stuff from, from the film before. He looks yeah. a little like Quasimodo on page 19. <laughs> a little Quasimodo and Frankenstein built together. <laughs> But I mean, look at like, uh, like the last panel on page sixteen. That's right. That same shot is right out of the movie. That same perspective and everything is right from the film. Yeah, and well, there's a shot of of uh, Han and Chewie sitting innocently in the corner. Mm -hmm. That's right out of the film. The way it's cut in, right out of the film too. It's just like they cut over to him and they're just sitting there, like, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> Chewie is really my only major nitpick. Now, now you've read ahead. You said you read all six. I just read the first uh -huh. three. Does Chewie ever get better? Because I haven't seen one picture of him in in these first three issues. Well, I mean, he's not even in the first issue. But in, in issue two and issue three, I didn't see one picture where he didn't look like uh, a Yeti to me. He he just doesn't. He he. They never seem to get him right. He always looks. They, they have him almost right in this, but sometimes, like on page twenty six and page twenty seven, there's two different pictures of him. Twenty six, he's got the Yeti head, and he's got some weird different coloration, where like a mustache. You know what? It's it's weird. it's not a Yeti either. You know what he looks like? And I just thought of it. You look at look at Chewie, the last panel of page twenty six. I just thought of who he reminds me of. He reminds me of, of Bigfoot from the Six Million Dollar Man. That's yeah, looks yeah, like. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he's uh, they've got. He's just he's like he's too fat or too wide. He's not, you know. Chewie's fairly sleek, you know, kind of like a like a well groomed cat or a or like a you know like a dog that's been groomed really well. He's he's very sleek, yeah. but in these issues they always made him look. You know, he either looked unkempt or he looked like, like fat, like a like a Sasquatch or something. He didn't look and, quite right somehow. And another another quibble. By the way, I love the art in this and all this, oh. but I'm just gonna quibble with it because it's more fun to 
pick out all the things I don't like rather than fawn over the things that I do like. And this is a thing that the, the this is a one of the things that I used to judge my Star Wars comic artists by is uh the the underside of the Millennium Falcon. Mhm. Does it look like a UFO or does it have <laughs> all the stuff on it? Page this 31 one, this, it looks like a UFO, baby. Yep, yeah, page 27 there's a nice smooth one too with a few lines running on it. Which now, one? On page on uh, page twenty-seven. Oh yeah, there's yeah. some pretty smooth star destroyers. You can skip there too. it. Yeah, you can skip it across the water the way it looks right there. Yeah, but then like on page thirty, up in the corner, there's a nice. That's a nice shot of the Millennium Falcon. Who, um, Williamson could really draw Millennium oh, Falcon. Yeah. yeah. He could draw the technology. He could draw everything beautifully, and have it you know capture the feel of it you know with an almost engineering artist precision uh-oh. uh-oh i got another one for you the last two panels of page 30 the part of han uh-huh. solo will now be played by john fogarty <laughs> you're right especially oh the, the very last one yeah that. With that part in his hair. Yo, man! In the Millennium yeah. Falcon. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I'm probably busting on these way too. I love these issues. I, I, I'm really, really impressed going back and looking at these again. How how very closely, you know, they, they followed the, the movie, you know, especially in dialogue and everything. And, uh... But again, you know, you look at that very last panel. Yeah, they really don't leave anything out. No, no, they didn't. Yeah, I know. That that really surprised me because I tried to think of, like, was there any, like, major sequence or, you know, like, major thing. And the only thing I could think of was the part where, where the droids shoot away from the Star Destroyer at the very beginning. And they're tracked by that one guy that he's going to shoot him. And then the other guy, you know, basically says, I'll, uh, let, yeah. I'll let him go. And I remember... That was one of the sequences I always look, used to look forward to to seeing whenever the film would come back in the theater or at the drive-in. We'd go see it again because that wasn't in the comics. And I used to love that. You know, it's just a little yeah, like Yeah, because it was just a novelty. Yeah. yeah. It was just something you didn't see, you know, anywhere else. You, you had to see it in the movie to see that. And now on to issue three, where I think Chewie looks a little better. I love him on the cover of this. He's a little ape-like, but I always love this cover. When I first got this, my copy of this had three covers on it. Yeah, I remember that. And I tore them off and hung them up like posters. That's... (laughs) He looks uh, like... uh, Oh, God, now I'm not going to be able to think of the guy's name. The general from... Like the fourth or fifth Planet of the Apes movie, there, General uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever his name was. Yeah, that's who he looks like to me. Because he does, he's got kind of that like gorilla face to him. But yeah, I, you know what's neat is it never it never occurred to me until just reading this again the other day. But where where exactly are they? Because I always thought they were in the Death Star. But you really get to looking at that background, and it almost looks like they're in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon with no chairs or something. Yeah, yeah. Once again. <laughs> Once again, artistic license and the, it's you know it's just I don't want to jump ahead, but the issue six with the Death Star flying over their heads, shooting laser da- lasers down at them. You know, <laughs> come on, kid, 
Uh, yeah. Gotta go get that Death Star before it kills us all. <laughs> no. Well, does, this... doesn't issue six have Luke and Vader saber fighting on the front of it? Yeah, with I think the... Oh, you're right. I think it's five that has the um the Death Star raining lasers down. Yeah, yeah. Like, actually on them with the ground, like, you know, <laughs> putting holes in the ground and shooting divots up and stuff. Oh, that's... This... That's something I forgot to dig out for these. I mean, it it's not a big deal, but I actually have several issues of these. I believe they're Spanish. Uh-huh. Oh, let me see if I can look I up. I see. I could learn Spanish just by yeah. reading those comics. It's something like – oh, crap. I can't think of the name of it. It's something like Laguerre La da Ah shit! I can't find them now. I wish I could find them because they're they're actually oh, I, cool. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea where I got them from. They just fell in my lap somewhere along the line, and they're just really neat because the the covers. Oh, here it is. Like like my Spanish sucks. This might not even be Spanish. I don't know. It's like La, La Guerra de las Galaxias. Yeah, that's Spanish. And it's issues three and four. But let me see here. I'm trying to get this to come up real quick. They're they're not in order. Yeah, because number three is that covered, and number five you're talking about, where it has them shooting down. Uh-huh. Yeah, that stars shooting down. That's issue three. But then issue four is the cover for number two, and Luke's head is replaced with a Han Solo head, and then Ben's head is replaced with what looks like Ant Man. So I don't know what the hell is going on in these stories at all, but I just I got the biggest kick out of it. I can't I can't read the blurbs on the cover to tell you what they're saying the story's about, but it, totally out of sequence. I don't know what the deal is on that, but I got a big kick out of them when they fell. I guess the I guess the Mexicans don't get they get the cut rate version of Star Wars <laughs> out of sequence, and so like the splash page of this is great. It's, oh, yeah. it's got the weird, but it's got the weird, like the way the stormtrooper, they have a stormtrooper standing in the foreground, but it really looks like you've got, you know, a 25-foot a stormtrooper standing there because <laughs> the perspective in the art's all wrong. Like, you, if you if you notice Princess Leia and, and Grand Moff Tarkin's feet end at the same place where Vader's feet... Oh, the stormtroopers right. feet at end, and they're all in three different planes of of space and and distance. In this, it's just it just really makes the pers- it, now Vader. You can it it works with him because he's got a cape, so you don't really know where his feet are touching the ground. So he looks and pr- he doesn't look like he's twice as high as Princess Leia. He looks like he's just farther away from him. But this stormtrooper, plus their word balloons, are just sort of going over the stormtrooper instead of behind him. <laughs> so <laughs> it just it just looks like there's this giant stormtrooper just hanging out, holding his gun <laughs> aimed at Alderaan. And Star Wars has actual like the word Star Wars up at the top have actual like little like fly lines, Speed like they're lines, yeah, with, with with stars on the A's. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of cheesy. It's kind of weird and cheesy, but uh, of course, and that's it's weird and cheesy right before the most, the, the probably the largest 
like death scene and all of the Star Wars movies put together when the whole planet gets blown up. Now notice they don't show again. They don't show a special effect. They show you the planet, right. yeah, but they never showed you the big gun firing or anything because yeah. they didn't know what didn't it was. Know what it was going to look like. Yep, I think that's very a clever way to do it. Just show the planet just blow up. And it and looks I very guess, Krypton-like, too, with all that green in it. I guess the uh, artwork for Chewie doesn't get better, because apparently he turns kind of purple if you look on page 3 and 4. And, and apparently after a whole planet blows up, it gives you a migraine headache. Look at um, Ben Kenobi in that picture and tell me he doesn't look like he's ripping a fart, man. Oh yeah, and then in the next frame it looks like someone just held him held like one side of his face down against like the ground and it's all like red on one side. He's got that so, Roy Neary face going on. Yeah, yeah. Somebody just slapped him on one side of the face. <laughs> and his serious. eyes are a little crooked too, so yeah. I mean I, I saw that picture of Ben and it totally looks like he's just going Ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and C three PO's like C three looking kind of weird in that one too. He's looking sort of like the Gill Man from uh, <laughs> Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now three PO looks great on the top of page six. Han looks okay, but what is up with Chewie? <laughs> His forehead's uh, swelling up a little bit, I see. That's like one of those silverback gorilla foreheads right yeah. there. He's got that yeah, giant yeah. forehead. And he's got a little purple tint to him, too. Now, I like that Luke deflects not a laser from the remote. He deflects the actual remote itself with his lightsaber. Now, why, yeah. why, why doesn't it just slice the remote in two? Not only that, but it says forp does it. <laughs> I love that. Swish that was and another thing. That was another thing that I found hilarious. Now, granted, how in the hell are you going to translate Chewbacca into any kind of like word balloons or word, you know words at all? But the things they've got him saying really are funny to me. Like, uh, what is oh, this yeah. one? Garonk, garonk. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But no, I mean the art is. It just it gets so much better issue to issue in this. I, yeah. I love the uh, chasing well, page, the Tie Fighter through through the uh, through the uh, meteor shower. But the one thing is, look page ten. Look at look at now. Here's another symmetry issue where the wing that's closer to you on the Tie Fighter is actually smaller than the wing that's further away from you. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Another another UFO. Millennium Falcon. Yeah, they didn't get real detail. Yeah, it does. It looks like a, it looks like a quarter with like a cockpit on the side of it. But then, the, then again, the shot right under it of uh, in through the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon is great. Mm-hmm. See, and then the whole thing with you know approaching the stadium. It's no, that's no moon. It's a space station. None of that looks like. It looks in the finished film because again, you know, they they didn't they yeah. didn't to see the effects. So yeah, you can definitely tell, you know, the the stills they had versus you know when they had nothing to work with and just had to wing it. But I mean, overall, I mean, you you, you gotta applaud the the job they did. And oh yeah, I mean, because um, that's actually one of the things I enjoy most about this. I actually enjoy more the stuff that takes liberties than the stuff that actually yeah. looks a frame or like you know like like an old trading card or something you know one of the old Star Wars cards I like the stuff that 
doesn't really look like the movie. It's it's like you're seeing a whole different parallel universe interpretation of the same story yep. or something. It's neat. Well, I like page 15 and 16, I think, are both really two strong pages. Two well-drawn pages. There's a great shot where Vader, it's just most of Vader's face takes up a whole frame and he's yeah. got the red reflected on his eyes. And it's just, it's great. You can see the little grills, the little wire in the grill on his mouth and all that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I've always, even though he looks totally wrong, I've always loved this panel on uh, the bottom of 16 where Chewie's just palm swatting that Imperial yeah. guy. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> just whack. Well, his palm's that. as big as the guy's face. And the guy's got that total, like, mouth open, all his fingers splayed out of complete surprise as he gets flapped in it, the face. It very Bernie Wrightson-ish to me somehow. Yes. I don't know why. It just, it, it really does. It just, I don't know. It gives it me is. that feeling from something like Cycle of the Werewolf or something. I love yeah. it. Really love it. I love it. And he gets hit. It's flap, T-H-L-A-P. And Chewie's saying, Nurk, N-R-R-L-K, <laughs> exclamation mark. I want to get, I want to get a t-shirt that says, got Nurk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then he's, well, on page 17, then the next, the very next thing he says is, Garu! Garu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that reminds, that reminds me of when we used to do our little par our parody um, adaptions of the Star Wars movie, and we had Archu, bless you, and the, the <laughs> things that he used to say, that we used to have to say in a high-pitched voice just to <laughs> simulate the, oh... It oh, there's something in here that reminded me. of Oh, I know what it was. It's on page 19. Uh -huh. There's the part where, uh, all right, Luke says, but I've seen her solo. She's beautiful. And Han says, so's life. Luke says, she's rich. Han says, so's, huh, rich? But in the version we did, the comedy one, he says, she's rich. And then Han says, uh, so's Nestle Toll House cookies or something like that. <laughs> That's right. This is ridiculous, but it always made me laugh anyway. Oh yeah, I'm telling you that it's just it's just, it, this. These are such a time machine, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, I go right back to being a little kid. Just you know, just look at. Well, I I have these just as memorized as the movies. You know. Oh yeah. I maybe I, I maybe have read these more than I've seen the movies just because I had them at my house all the time. You know, at any time I could open these up and experience Star Wars. You know. I mean, this was, you know, this was our, you know, kids today. I mean, six months after a movie comes out that they like, they, they can watch it at their leisure because it's out on, right. DVD. on DVD. You know, when we were kids, it was like, you know, this tided you over till maybe the movie would come back, you know, for a couple weeks at the drive-in the next year or something, you know, if you were if you were lucky. But that was it, man. I mean, these comics were the all the Star Wars we got for quite a long, you know, other than... Well, when did, like, Splinter the Mind's Eye come along? Or, like, those Han Solo books, which, honestly, I never really cared for all that much, but... Splinter the Mind's Eye was, like, probably by 78. It wasn't that long. It was soon enough that I couldn't believe. When I saw it in the bookstore, I could not believe that there was, you know... Because at that time, there was no fan base or anything, so you had no idea what was going to, you know, what was going to come out... As a kid, you just went to the store, and if it was 
all of a sudden something would be there. And I, I remember seeing that and uh, I was actually like with a friend of my parents and their kids and uh, the the mother ended up buying me the book because she just saw how I reacted when I saw <laughs> it and she was like, oh, I better get this kid this book because, you know, probably, probably, she probably didn't see kids reacting to books like that, you know, where I was, I don't think I was begging for it, but I think I saw it and was just like, oh my God, and like talking about it like I'm going to make my parents buy me this. <laughs> Uh oh, should I should I tell the no, I'll save it for when we get to Empire. Remind me to tell the uh the immovable object story when uh when okay. you, to, you know which one I'm talking about? The the no. book the bookstore in Carthage, the cigar shop, the when when I saw that magazine. Oh yes, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about yeah. now. It was a it was a uh it's hilarious now, but it was extremely painful at the time. But uh See, I, I, I love this whole issue. I love how the art's going the whole way, but especially when you get to, you know, this was one of the major action sequences for me as a kid was the whole detention cell sequence. Yes. And that this one panel, the bottom of page 20, or the, actually the last panel, page 23. Yes. Where, I don't know if it's Luke or Han, but they're shooting a hole actually right through that trooper has always been one of you my know it's, favorite. You know it's funny? This is so bizarre, but that was the exact next thing I was going to bring up. Oh, wow. I was going to be like, it's, I just love the way he's shooting that stormtrooper, and it looks like it hits him and blows out. It doesn't just like come out through him as a hole. It comes out by blowing the back panel out of yeah. his <laughs> yeah. suit, and it's just like, bam. Frap, actually. Yeah, frap. <laughs> And this has some good chewy lines in it, like Hararu Grugun, which I think my cat says that all the time. H H A R A R R G N. Harargun. And there's a Gurk in there. Gnur! Another a Gnur. <laughs> Another Aru. The next time I've had hot wings and I'm in the bathroom, I'm going to go, Gnur! Gnur. Not Aru. <laughs> Aru. <laughs> Aru Aru is a Nixon line. That's the, that's what he always says when they have Nixon's head in, in Futurama. Aru. <laughs> love, a, love the Stormtrooper panel in, the, in page 26 at the bottom there. God, that's a great picture. Oh, and we're the and well, twenty in the next page where they shoot the one guy who's heading for the alarm. Yeah, and he's just that actually looks more like in the in the actual movie the part where they break you know when they've gone from the Falcon and they go into that control room and you know Chewie yes. swats the guy and Han shoots the guy in this uniform. That actually looks like that might be a still from that sequence. But man, that's you're right. It's beautiful. I just I really like the art in this part. I mean the art definitely definitely stepped up big time for it's it's almost unrecognizable as Chaken between that first issue and this issue. There's there's some things that give it away, but it's the inking. The yeah. inking definitely he thinned out the lines, put more detail into it, and got the characters looking more like I mean, page thirty, the fir the um, first close-up of Princess Leah. Yeah, uh, you know, I love is, that. that's that's great. That totally captures the way that Carrie Fisher looks. Yeah, it does. It totally looks like her. 
And, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Le- Le Aloha also, um, man, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He also uh, colored the issues that he inked, and I think uh, I think he deserves major props for the coloring because the colors really jump. I mean, yeah. it's hard to make, you know. I mean, you know, you look at today where comics, you know, they're they're using all these really neat colors, and they can make a lightsaber now to where it actually will hurt your eyes to look right into the blade. You know, something they can do in the printing process, and it's on that beautiful glossy paper and all that. You look back at this, and this was just you know the shitty newsprint paper. It was really hard to make things really jump and really really come off the page. And man, they did it so well. Well, if they would have used. If they would have been true to the movie and used the color scheme of the movie, it would have been like muted. It's like a lot of muted grays and blues and whites. Like, it's a lot of muted dark colors. And if you look at this, there's a lot of pink and purple Mm -hmm. and orange and stuff like that. But just the way they do it. Yeah, it works. It make you don't think of it as being the real, even the real color behind them. You know, it's right. yeah, it's a it's a very they did a very creative job of pulling it off. I wish I had extra money because I you go back to page twenty six and look at those troopers. Have you seen the toys that have come out that are there's they're Star Wars action figures. But they're based on these old comics, so they're colored oh. like that. And there's one that's actually, it looks like this trooper on page 26 where he's actually got some blue tinge on the figure. Right. Oh, they're amazing. I mean, they look like they've just walked right out of the comic, you know? It's really neat how they've done that. You know, it's, it, it, there's some some special figures that they put out, and I think they're two packs or something, and they come with like a reprinted you know, Marvel issue and stuff. They're really cool, but man, they're they're expensive too. But they're really neat looking. But that uh, blue goes a long way to actually making them seem more white. Yeah, that's what's funny about it. You know, it's there's there's like on page twenty six, there's a shot of a stormtrooper getting shot in the back. And he's kind of a fat stormtrooper if you look <laughs> at it with grasshopper legs, but he's almost completely blue. You know, there's just one little section of him that's white, but he still looks white, you know? Your your, your brain still registers it as white. It's very interesting. Very interesting. I love it. But, but yeah, I always liked this, the, uh, the blaster shots had that big, like, bubble. Yeah, yeah, a little glob or, at the end. Yeah. Almost like, li- almost like liquid. Yeah, especially like the shot of Han shooting the uh, the control panel. It is. It's a very, I don't know. It's like a plasm or something. You know, it's like shooting out. Or like the the trooper that's shooting in the the second panel of page. What is that? Twenty six. You know. The, yes, we're yeah. shooting. Right you you don't even it. see the gun. It's like this big fireball coming out of his hands or something. It's really cool. But I like that because, you know, you watch those movies and there were times where they would take a shot and, and it would come out almost looking like a ball. I think that's their way of capturing a flash, you know. Yeah. Or, uh... But it's neat. They did that They did that in, uh, you know, almost every blaster shot in these early issues. And it was neat because that stuck around through just about the whole series. You know, they could have just drawn 
you know, a simple bright red beam, you know, bright Fine. red bolt coming out like it actually yeah. looked in the movies. But by making that that flash around it like that, it just made it more dramatic for the comics. And they, they use that through pretty much the whole rest of the series, I do believe. What else you got? That's pretty much it. I think we, uh, I think we just, yeah, I think we about covered those first three issues. And uh, next time we'll finish off the first movie. They, uh, they addressed your issue with the cover of number one when they reprinted it as that Marvel movie showcase. I'm looking at that one, and they did actually. They changed. Let me see. They changed Darth Vader to being more blue-black than green. They changed Luke's hair from red to to blonde. <laughs> they changed the color of the Death Star. The only thing they didn't change that still doesn't make any sense to me is they didn't change um, the colors of the lightsabers. They both still have red lightsabers. And Han's still got that uh, $6 million man uniform on. See, I'm going to go through my comic book collection. I think I have those. I think I have those. Now, wasn't one of them... I know one of them was three issues. Didn't they do one that had all six issues in it, too? The only one I'm aware of that had all six issues was... was Gigundus one? That gi- yeah, number three. It was Marvel Special Edition number three reprinted all six. That was the big oversized. Or the Marvel Comics Illustrated version was all six, but that was the mm-hmm. small little... Paperback you know, Yeah, it's like a paperback, and it, it was black and white, so it wasn't colored at all. And I need to travel back in time and slap my younger self for coloring so many of the pages. <laughs> I know I did the same thing with I, I went through mine with colored pencils. And I actually corrected the page where where Luke calls Uncle Uncle Owen Uncle Ben. The word Ben <laughs> is crossed out and Owen's written underneath it in red ink. But this is my shitty version. I've got a really nice version too. It's hard to keep these in good shape. These little books well, I've like. Got- they're all like marred up and stuff, but well, the one I got came out of a library, so it has oh, a hard, it has the library, you know, where they they they've actually removed the the cover and put it on a hard cover. Yeah, so it's probably held up better than. Yeah, it's held up really good, except for the parts I colored. <laughs> <laughs> I need a new copy. Yeah. Of- number three the special edition number three because for some reason all that's left of the cover is if you go to the inside cover there was the the black and white still of them all standing on the throne at the end of the movie you know when she after she gives them the medals that's all that's left of it and somebody cut like the whole rest of the cover off i don't know what what the hell the deal was. i don't know if i did it or I can't imagine I did because I didn't usually cut up my comics, but I don't know. Anyway, that's all that's left of the front cover of that, so I need a new copy. But I saw one on eBay the other day that only sold for like, I think it was like six bucks or something, so I got to get that. I always figured those go for a lot of money, but they're really not all that expensive. They probably printed as quadrillion of them. Well, I think we've gone long for this episode. I think we have. Next, Next week's Star Trek. Yes, we are reviewing um, where no man has gone before. Just by odd coincidence, we are going random. We are using a random number generator to pick for us, but it picked the first episode. So, so 
We're going with awesome. uh, with the first one. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. I have a couple of book reviews, just real quick ones to throw out, just a couple of Trek books I've read. And uh, yeah, our Trek episodes will go kind of similar to the Star Wars ones. We'll just talk about uh, just Star Trek and you know review and talk about whatever comes up. But mostly it'll be uh, episode reviews and reflections on the original Star Trek. And that'll be next time. Um, we can be uh, contacted through our Gmail address, twotruefreaks at gmail.com. We have a forum, which we would be happy to see you at. You can leave comments for us or engage us in discussions or ask us questions or call us sons of bitches or whatever you want to do. That's at thecomicforums.com. Just uh, scroll on down. All, there's a bunch of podcasts listed there. They're all alphabetical. Just scroll on down to Two True Freaks. We are on MySpace. We are on YouTube. And I think that's about it. I just want to give a yep. quick shout-out to a show that you should be listening to if you like the Legion of Superheroes. It's called Super Future Friends. Very, very funny podcast. The uh, hosts are very engaging, uh, very irreverent. It's not for the younger listeners. They can be found at feeds.feedburner.com slash superfuturefriends, all one word. Give them a listen to, tell them that Two True Freaks sent you. And yeah, that about and, wraps and, us up. Yeah, if you go to our, our twotruefreaks.libson.com where, where all our podcasts are, you can get to all our other stuff. You can get to our forum, you can get to our MySpace, our YouTube, and all that. So that's that's a good central place to go. But if until... You, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, if you enjoy our show, uh, tell a friend. You know, review yeah. us tunes. Let us know. We, we love feedback. Um, let us know you're, what you're digging, what you're not, what we can do better, what, what we're doing just fine. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate hearing from people. So until yeah. next time. Yep. We'll, <laughs> we'll be back with Star Trek. Star Trek. Bye, all. And on that day, their revenge was complete.